Good. Well, I wonder, is there anyone in the world right now doing something which you believe is wrong? Something you believe they should stop doing, no matter what they personally believe about that issue. Whatever, whatever they believe about its rightness or its wrongness. I immediately think of news headlines where horrendous things are happening. The disgusting accounts of Jimmy Savile's actions. The forced labour camps in North Korea. The migrants found dead in a lorry this week. There will be many other things that horrify you. They just aren't right. I think that each of us, if we think about it, it's clear that we do care about justice. We care about right and about wrong. And we want to see that justice is done. Last Sunday, we looked at a passage of the Bible, which was pretty sobering. Don't worry if you weren't there. The summary is that Jesus told his followers that after he leaves earth, he's going to come back to earth and judge all people based on the way we live. And for those who don't live his way, that means justice, judgment away from him. And he will save all who do trust in him. That's a big claim. And someone asked me after the the gathering last week, how could a good God who claims to be forgiving... Come and judge people in that way. It's a great question, isn't it? If God is really loving, why does he bring this judgment on us all? Why not just forgive everyone? The idea that God would punish us for our sins is, frankly, offensive in our society. But I think it's worth taking a step back from there. We've already identified that we all care about justice. We just don't like it when that justice is directed at us. We despise the driver who speeds past a school, breaking the speed limit. And yet, when I get that speeding ticket through the door, I will do everything I can to weasel out of it. Or or, or think of the child who, who tells on his sister for saying a mean word towards him. But then when he says that same thing the very next day, he denies all knowledge of it. We don't like justice when it's directed at us. And in his judgment, God is saying, you have done wrong, and you deserve punishment for that. And that applies to every single human being, me included. I guess if you really love someone, you will care when they are hurt. You will act to bring justice on their behalf. And yet, when we look around us at the world today, doesn't it seem like justice just doesn't come to those in need? And the question, therefore, for anyone who believes in a God or for anyone who is investigating a God is this. Does God even care? Does he care? Jesus carries on teaching his followers in the next section that we're going to look at today. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 18, verses 18, uh, sorry, chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. And Joe's going to come up and read that to us. Jesus tells them, his followers, a story about someone in desperate need, crying out for justice. So as Joe reads it, why not try and pick out Jesus' answer to this question, does God even care? And it's Luke chapter 18, um, and that's the bottom of page 1051 in the blue Bibles that you have on your chairs. And it's Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 8. Chapter is the big number, number 18, and the little number, 
well, it's not got a little number, so just next to the big number, 18. Thanks, Joe. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Thank you, Joe. So Jesus tells this story about two characters. A widow, she is helpless. Women in that culture often married as young as 13 or 14 years old. So she might not actually be especially old when her husband died. But she's clearly desperate, isn't she? She's been wronged in some way. Perhaps it's to do with the inheritance of her dead husband. In that culture, women weren't usually the ones to go and approach the judge to get help. So actually, it would have been the closest male relative to her that would have done that. And so the fact that she herself is going to fight this case implies she's got no male relatives left. In that culture, that means there's no one to provide for her, no one to protect her. She is the prime example of someone who is utterly desperate. One of the most vulnerable adults in society. And so she asks this judge in the town, give me justice against my adversary. Help me. She asks again and again and again. And so we come to this second character, the unjust judge. Now, Jewish law states that people should defend the poor and the widowed. It makes a big, big deal of that. But this guy just doesn't care. We read, he neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. Neither the laws of God nor people stirred his conscience. And it does seem like he's proud of it, doesn't it? We read in verse 4, even though I don't fear God or care about what people think, he, he, he likes to, to show that he doesn't care. He prides himself on this reputation that he has as harsh and uncaring. But he's this woman's only hope. And so she keeps returning to him time and again. And the judge eventually breaks. Not out of compassion, but because he's just getting irritated. He says, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. Literally, this word, to attack me, is speaking about getting a black eye. Uh, Figuratively, it's the idea of beating someone down emotionally or relationally or because of their reputation. This guy clearly doesn't care about his reputation, so he's concerned that this woman is going to beat him down emotionally 
by persisting in her requests for justice. So he pursues justice for this woman, not because he cares for her, but because he cares for himself. Jesus helpfully unpacks the point he is telling us here. And it's actually a bit more complicated than it seems at first. First, So notice there is a comparison and a contrast. Firstly, the comparison between the widow and the disciples that he's telling the story to. The disciples are to be like the widow in the story. That's why Luke writes in verse 1, Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So they're to be like the widow. And Jesus is teaching his followers that... Um, that, for his followers then, and, and us today as his followers, if we call ourselves that, he's teaching us that persistent prayer works. He knows it would be tempting to give up when we don't get the answers we want straight away, when we don't see immediate resolution to injustice. But he tells them, keep praying. Firstly, a comparison. Secondly, a contrast. And it's important to note that this is a contrast. Otherwise, we get a really skewed view of what this parable is teaching us. The unjust judge in the story is contrasted to God, the just judge. Verse 7 says this, And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? He's saying even if this bad judge in the story brings justice, how much more will the good just judge God bring justice? How much more will the good judge bring about justice for his people? But that raises a question, doesn't it? When we look around the world at us today and see what's going on. Jesus knows the world around us isn't fair. So how can we say that God is just? Jesus asks the disciples two rhetorical questions. Will God not bring justice? Will he keep putting them off? And I guess that that those questions are the question we started with, isn't it? Does God really care? Does he even care about injustice? If he does, then why does he allow such injustice in this world to carry on? And specifically from this passage, why does he allow people to be persecuted simply because they are his people? Simply because they are Christians? Now, it's worth pausing here to think about who Jesus is speaking to. He's just said in the previous passage, there will be a day when these guys long to see one of the days of the Son of Man. That is, they will plead with God for Jesus to return and bring the justice which he promises. Then in verse 7, we see that God's people will be crying out to him day and night for justice. The widow is asking for justice against her adversary, And Jesus relates this parable of the widow to his disciples, those very disciples who will soon die for their belief in Jesus because they are persecuted for their beliefs. The people in view here are facing persecution because they are God's people. So if you're a follower of Jesus here today, you may feel unfairly treated by family, by friends, by colleagues, by teachers, by co-workers, Because of your faith. You may feel persecuted. Everyone's situation will be different. However, I have to say, in general, that in the UK, this is relatively mild. 
It's not something which means I am crying out day and night for justice, for God to come. If I'm honest, I don't have the attitude that Jesus is describing here. And I'm actually not particularly desperate for him to come and judge the world, because I'm quite happy things ticking along as they are. I wonder if you are. Do you want Jesus to come back? Do you pray for that? Do you genuinely and persistently pray for God to bring justice? Do you really mean it? Maybe your experience is different. I know there are are people in this family who do face daily injustice. I'm not trying to diminish that. But I suspect the majority of us here today will identify with that, with my feelings in some way. So let me introduce you to Hannah and her family. They're from North Korea. They are Christians, and they've been taken to a labor camp. These are Hannah's actual words. We were separated by gender. My daughter and I were put in the female wing, and my husband and son, who was just a teenager, who were put in a cell with males. We were all called for interrogation and questions. They beat us so harshly. When there was no interrogation, we had to kneel in our cells and not speak. My husband was treated badly. He told the guards that he had become a believer. Later, he said he had no other choice. The guards threatened to kill his family. He had to tell them the truth. After his confession, all four of us were locked up in solitary confinement, a small cage. We didn't receive any food or water and were not able to sleep. Prisoners in solitary confinement were beaten badly. Nobody dared to resist because you'd only make the torture worse. But my husband was different. The more they tortured him, the harder he defended his faith. But each time he spoke out against them, they stripped him of his clothes and beat him up as if he was an animal. His flesh was torn and ripped. When he lost his consciousness, they woke him up and started again. I too felt close to dying. I was dehydrated and beaten until I was unconscious too. When I woke up, I was dragged back to a regular cell with my daughter and other female inmates. Then they beat me in front of them. All my daughter could do was cry silently, which she did day and night. Hannah and her family were crying out to God for help, day and night. And Hannah's not the only one in this situation. This week I've been learning about persecuted Christians throughout the world. And it's brought me to tears on several occasions, thinking about it. The majority of Christians throughout history and throughout the world today are not comfortable in their lives like we are. They're being persecuted for their faith. They are crying out to God for his justice. 
have a look at this map of the 50 countries in the world where there is high, very high, or extreme persecution of Christians for their belief. It's getting worse. Five years ago, only one country, North Korea, was in that extreme category. Now, today, there are 11 countries that fit that category. In fact, it seems the persecuted church is the normal church in most of the world. We, in the UK, are the anomaly. And so it's into this kind of persecution that Jesus is speaking. The disciples are listening, and they will soon die for their beliefs. Just like many people in Hannah's labor camp are dying each day. There are 50 to 70,000 Christians imprisoned in North Korea labor camps alone for their faith. And Jesus, in this parable, is teaching them, saying, don't give up. Keep trusting in my coming justice. So does that mean that this doesn't apply to us today in the UK? Well, no, not at all. Elsewhere in the Bible, we read about the global community of believers. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. We too should be united with our brothers and sisters around the world. They cry out for justice day and night. And we should join them by praying for God to bring his justice. We also do experience injustices in our lives for all sorts of things. I know some here do face that daily. We can trust in this truth too, that one day Jesus will make everything right again. Even when justice doesn't appear to come in this life, it will come when Jesus returns. So Jesus says, keep praying. And yet, it just doesn't seem to come, does it? Jimmy Savile seems to have got away with it all. He died a year before allegations were even raised against him. So does God even care? Let's read verse 8. I tell you, he will see that God, uh, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus points his disciples here, and us today, back to the teaching that he's just given them, which we looked at last week. Yes, God is wonderfully just, and he will bring that justice quickly. Even though it may not seem like it, the period of suffering for God's people is minuscule compared to eternity with him. And that judgment will be utterly different to that of that unjust judge. That's the huge contrast in this passage. It will be true justice. Every wrong accounted for, every act judged fairly. And the terrible thing for each of us there is that each of us falls short. We will all be found wanting. It's not just the evil out there in North Korea or in the news that's the problem. It's evil in here, in our hearts. Here are some words from the Russian novelist, historian and Nobel Prize winner, Alexander Solzhenitsyn. I think I pronounced that correctly. Here's what he says. If only there were evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us, and destroy them. But the line 
dividing good and evil, cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of their own heart? Each of us has said, thought, and done things that we know aren't right. Not to the same extent as the North Korean guards, but we've each fallen short of our own standards. And we've each fallen short of God's standards. If God is going to judge all the evil out there, then he has to judge all the evil in here. Otherwise, he wouldn't be just. And Jesus promises in this passage justice for all. We all yearn for justice. I want Jimmy Savile to face judgment. I want justice to be done. But if I want that, then I must also be willing to take it on myself. And that is bad news for me, and it's bad news for each of us. But Jesus hints at the hope that he offers in the previous section we looked at last week. This is what he said in verse, chapter 17, verse 25. He said, but first, before Jesus comes back to judge the world, he must suffer and be rejected by people. He's hinting forward from this point to his death in Jerusalem. You see, justice is what he promises, and he promises that it will be fair and severe. God does care about evil. But because of his love for us, he will judge evil. And out of that love for us, he will take that judgment on himself. The judgment we deserve to face. He dies in our place. So does God even care? Yes, yes, he does care. So much that he will bring justice for his people. And he cares so much that he's willing to take that justice on himself. And that is the heart of Jesus' mission and his message, why he came to earth. He is God, come to love his people and take the justice that we deserve on himself. And so in answering that question we've been thinking about, he says, yes, I do care. I will bring justice. But the question is, and this is where he finishes up, the question is, when I come back, will you still have faith in me? Or will the injustices that you're facing just now cause you to fall away from faith in me? He's saying, have faith that I will bring justice. Have faith in me as you patiently wait for that justice. Pray for it to come persistently as you go about your lives, sharing that hope that I offer. So if you're not a follower of Jesus here today, think about what that means for you. If you examine yourself, you will see that you fall short of God's standards and your own standards, but God's are higher. And each of us finds that. What will you do when you face God's judgment? Jesus invites you to put your trust in him today. To take that judgment that you deserve on yourself. So on himself. If you are someone who's done that, then rejoice that you don't have to face it. And in the trials of this life, where injustice seems to be the norm, where things aren't sorted out, trust God, knowing that he will one day make it all right. Persist in it. He listens, just like he listens to the widow. Pray for justice for those living in persecution too. 
We're going to spend um, an extended time this evening doing just that. If you come back at 5 p.m. for our evening gathering, we're going to be looking at the persecuted church and how we can be praying for them. But you could start to make more of a habit of that in your own life as well. For now, though, take a minute just to silently reflect on what Jesus' teaching here means for you. After a minute, we'll put some questions on the screen for you to discuss um, with those around you. Just take a minute yourself to reflect on what, what we've been learning.